Welcome back to another solo show of the You Thought Podcast. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. I, of course, am your host, Wyatt. Last week, uh, Lucas talked about some Bundesliga stuff, but I'm going to move it over to a different kind of football. We have some NFL news, and then I have a little bit of housekeeping at the end of the show of just some miscellaneous stories. But to start with some football stuff, I, I made a list of the current unsigned free agents that I would consider to be the hottest names on the market. And I'm going to start with probably the hottest name still on the market right now. It's Cam Newton. Um, out of all of the names, there hasn't been really that much buzz around him for other teams. Right now, the Patriots are the betting favorite to sign Cam Newton. And every show that I've seen so far, they say that the Patriots are going to sign him. But I think that's just more of our own want for Cam Newton to sign for the Patriots rather than the Patriots wanting him. The other two teams that I had listed for Cam, which were the Bears and the Jets, have already secured their solid backups for the next year. The Jets just signed Joe Flacco as of today, uh, recording this Friday. And then the Bears, of course, traded for Nick Foles over the offseason. And then the next team that he was also linked to, the Chargers, are pretty much sticking with Tyrod Taylor, and then they drafted their quarterback of the future, of course, at number six. There seems to be a lot of intrigue around Cam, but mainly a lot of question marks surrounding him. I would say we're probably going to have to wait until June or July before we see Cam sign another contract. The next hottest name I have is Jadavian Clowney, who, again, we could possibly wait for him to sign a contract until the summer. He almost has no choice at this point to wait. He wanted to get $20 million since the start of free agency, but his price tag has since dropped to about $17, $18 million. He also said he'd like to sign a shorter-term deal, something like three years. But this situation is kind of hard to gauge with Jadavian Clowney. I don't really know where he's at with teams. Um, On one hand, I can definitely see him getting a, a huge contract, $20 million. He definitely has the physical tools to warrant a contract that big but his numbers don't really show up on the field and he's had some missed years with injuries. So it'd be hard for me to see a team actually shelling out that much money for somebody who has such a big question mark surrounding his name. His ceiling is still really high though. Um, if If you look at him, he was a pro bowler over the last couple of years, but if I'm a team like the Giants who don't have a great pass rush already, I don't see them getting the most out of Jadavian Clowney just for the simple fact that he'd be the only guy in that line and he'd be easy to target and double team. He's a guy who probably works a lot better if there's another star on that line. Like I said, he was a pro bowler in Houston and he had J.J. Watt lining up on the other side. I would say he's probably a really good number two guy on a team. And there are three teams that I can see him going with or pursuing him. First on the list, I have the Browns. And if I'm the Browns, I'm going all in on this. You've already seen the top of the teams in the division, like the Ravens, take a step both offensively and defensively. The Steelers are still going to be good next year. I don't really know. The Bengals aren't going to be like a playoff team, but they're definitely going to be better than they were the year before. And you already have a star on your line. Like I mentioned, Jadavian Clowney would be really good with a star. And they have Miles Garrett, who's going to be coming back next year. I don't remember what he had as far as suspensions go, but... At some point during the year, at some point during the playoffs, they're going to have both those guys on the line, and they already have the most cap space left in the league. If you look at and you sign them for three years, $51 million, which puts them around, like I think, $17 million a year, if my math is correct, it's not going to break the bank 
to put Jadavian Clowney on that line. A really good defensive line already. But, I mean, if I could get Clowney and Garrett together, I'd make that move. I'd make that move every day. The next team I have on my list would be the Colts. And the, the Colts are pretty much the same story. They have a lot of cap space left. They just signed for DeForest Buckner from the Niners. And, of course, they have a great linebacker in Darius Leonard. And if I'm them, you don't have to mortgage your future to win a championship. But it definitely is clear that they're in win-now mode. They'd like to win a championship. They went and got Phillip Rivers. We all know that. I think it would be a good move for the Colts. I don't know if maybe you look at Jadavian Clowney the same as far as production goes if he's on the Colts. But you can't blame the Colts for trying. And the last one, I saw a Photoshop of Jadavian Clowney in a Titans uniform, which kind of sparked my imagination a little bit. The Titans would be a really good fit for him. They already have a pretty decent defensive line. And I think that if you're a team like the Titans, they're really creative with their players. I think they're like the Seahawks. They're like the AFC version of the Seahawks. They get the most out of their players. And they're creative. Jadavion Clowney would be a really good fit there. He was really good in Seattle. And I can see that working out really well for the Titans. Especially because I also believe that they're in their win-now window. They signed Ryan Tannehill. Um, they franchise tagged Derrick Henry, but he signed his tender, tender with the franchise tag, so he's going to play next year. I could see them making big moves over this year to hopefully win a championship sometime soon. But with all that being said, if I were Clowney, this is thinking from his perspective, I would go with the Browns. I think that's easily the best fit for him outside of the Seahawks, um, but we know that they're not going to bring him back. The next on the list is probably one of Jared's favorite players of all time, apparently, is Dak Prescott. And the one thing I'll say about the Cowboys is that the Cowboys have completely screwed up their last couple of negotiations. When they traded a first-round pick for Amari Cooper from Oakland, they should have signed him to an extension right then and there. They shouldn't have waited the entire year. And I know Amari was a good guy, and he said, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to make this easy for the team, and I'm going to wait to sign my contract extension, which is probably the best move for him financially. Right. I think there is maybe more of personal incentive instead of just being a good guy. But if I was the Cowboys, they should have signed him right away. They shouldn't have waited so long. And then, of course, over the last year, they signed Zeke to a six-year extension. So he still had two years left on his rookie contract at the point of the holdout. And they still went ahead and signed him. They had all the leverage in the world. They made, it was like $90 million deal. And I I don't remember if he became the highest paid running back in the league, but he definitely was one of the highest paid running backs in the league. And then now they're going through, of course, this back and forth talk with Dak Prescott, and they still haven't come to an agreement. Chris Sims reported on 105.3 The Fan, which apparently is the only radio show in Dallas. Anytime news come out about the Dallas Cowboys, it's always from 105.3 The Fan. So shout out to 105.3 because they're doing something right. They got Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones on the radio at all times. It's probably all they ever talk about or talk to is Stephen and Jerry Jones. But um, the report came out that Dak declined a five-year, $175 million contract that would make him the highest paid quarterback in the league. And he turned it down. Uh, Schefter quickly came out and reported that there was no five-year deal on the table. Had a big Schefter bomb. But Dak apparently is looking for a shorter-term deal, somewhere like four years. 
And it's kind of hard to believe any of these. Uh, I would rather believe Schefter because, he, of course, he has a really good uh, log of reports behind him. But you know, I don't really know what to believe. And if there's any truth in the reports that Dak Prescott declined that offer, he might be one of the worst ne- contract negotiators I have ever seen. There's no way that he seriously turned down $175 million because he didn't want to have that fifth year. So apparently the biggest contract hangup is that he really wants that fourth year. And if he was going to sign that fifth year, he would have to have it about 400 or excuse me, $45 million for that last year to cover for the increase in salary cap and what the going rate will be for quarterbacks that year. Right. It's just a prediction. And if I'm the Cowboys, I can't sign Dak, Dak Prescott to a prediction of what the, the going rate for a quarterback is going to be, especially if, I mean, this is just guessing within the next five years. If they don't make any serious run at the Super Bowl, you know, win a championship, make it deep in the playoffs, anything like that. You're paying a guy $45 million for the last year. He better win a Super Bowl that year. He better be, right? Because if the rate of a quarterback is only goes up a little bit, and maybe with the exception of Patrick Mahomes, who has a huge contract, maybe maybe the going rate for a quarterback is about anywhere between 37 to $40 million a year. Because right, it's going to go up. It's always like this next man up thing. But, you know, it you can't pay a guy $45 million a year off of a guess. And the Cowboys are smart to, to not fall into these negotiations from Dak. Right? So, I mean, everybody who is becomes a free agent, the, especially quarterbacks, they, be, they reset the market. And the Cowboys, I think they said, I know they said, that, they're not going to reset the market with all the players that they want to sign. And they already signed a lot of players. They signed Demarcus Lawrence. They signed Jalen Smith. And then, like I said, Amari and Zeke. And I don't want them, I don't see them wanting to sign a contract to to Dak Prescott for five years at that price. I mean, you got to relax, Dak. Relax, brother. I mean, if he's looking at Jared Goff and Carson Wentz and Russell Wilson and saying, that's my starting point, He's delusional. Goff signed for 35, excuse me, Goff signed for $33.5 million per year before restructuring his contract, but he was fresh off of a Super Bowl appearance. I know they didn't win, but you know, the every, every team wants to win or go to a Super Bowl within their quarterback's rookie contract. And the Rams did that. Carson Wentz, he's got $32 million per year. He was coming fresh off of an MVP caliber season. And then, of course, Russell Wilson had been to two Super Bowls in the rookie contract, probably the, the most similar to Dak as far as situation goes, because he wasn't a first-round quarterback and he didn't have that fifth-year option. All right, so they had to get a deal done. But Russell Wilson went to two Super Bowls in his rookie contract, and he's the second-best quarterback in the league. So all three of those guys have at least done something in their time as quarterbacks, and Dak Prescott fell into a position where he got to succeed after having Zeke pretty much just become the backbone of that team. I mean, there's a reason why they went and signed Zeke to a $90 million deal before the season even started. They weren't even going to entertain the holdout for that long. And they said, oh, you know, Tony Pollard is our guy and he's going to be the running back and we and it's the next man up thing. And then they went ahead and signed Zeke to $90 million anyway because they believe that that's the workhorse of their team and Dak Prescott is not. If you look at the way the offense goes now and you look at them adding CeeDee Lamb, 
you don't really need Dak. I don't know what Dak does differently, especially because I know Andy Dalton isn't exactly like the best quarterback in the world. But if they go out there and then they win four games, then what? If Dak Prescott holds out and they have some success and they just run the ball with Zeke and they kind of dink and dump, you know, the same way that the the Titans did and they kind of just worked through Derrick Henry and the Cowboys worked through Ezekiel Elliott, what's Dak supposed to do then? Just sign his, his franchise tender? What if the Cowboys took away the franchise tag? They said, you know what? Go ahead and hit the market. No team that has $35 million per year is going to sign Dak Prescott to a long, long-term contract. There's no team with that much cap space right now outside of the Browns who already have Baker Mayfield, right? Whether you believe it or not, they're still going to go in on Baker Mayfield and they're not going to shell out $35 million to get a quarterback who's probably not any better than the quarterback they already have. Like I said, Goff and Wentz are coming off two spectacular years the year that they signed their contracts, and and Wilson was too. But Dak is coming off of a year where he didn't throw for a, a touchdown in three games, including a game against a division rival, the Eagles, that cost him a trip to the playoffs. Steven and Jerry Jones like to go on air and say that he's their guy, but everything that I've seen shows me the opposite, and actions, of course, speak louder than words. Dak, at best, is probably a top 15 quarterback in the league which I would say scale-wise puts him around Teddy Bridgewater and Ryan Tannehill. who And I would probably take Teddy, to be honest, over Dak Prescott right now. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater signed for three years, $63 million, which puts him at $21 million per year. And of course, Ryan Tannehill signed for four years, $29 million per year. right? And a good price for Dak is probably somewhere around there from 26 to 29 per year. But I would consider myself lucky if I were Dak to get 32 so for an offer to be $35 million per year and you're really hung up on that fourth year, if, there, if, if these reports are true, which who knows really at this point, you got to be crazy to say that I I don't want that. What are, you, what are you doing, man? What are you trying to accomplish? I was going to go out and be bold and say that we might see Dak Prescott go into the year with the franchise tag. And he's probably going to follow a Kirk Cousins type route where he signs a tag and he plays and then he maybe gets tagged again. But I think we're more likely to see a situation where Dak Prescott is not a cowboy. Maybe not this year, but maybe next year. Maybe they sign and trade him to a team that struggles. Because the more, the longer the Cowboys go without signing him, the more money he's going to want. And the less he, and the more he underperforms, the less money the Cowboys are going to want to give him. They're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So we're all waiting for the long and anticipated return of professional sports. And right now, every major sport, baseball, football, and basketball, and they're trying to find ways to get back out into the field. And there's pretty much no solution that includes having the fans in the stadium. And the NBA, of course, is in serious talks about finishing the rest of the season in Disney World. Um, They're not really just considering it. The Disney World is the clear front runner to host the NBA season. And this is is hopeful. This is good news. I'm glad that there are talks going on that the season will return. And Silver, Adam Silver, did say that he wanted the season to resume. 
Of course, we've seen players take matters into their own hands. And I read that LeBron James is holding private workouts with two players at a time. And he's also had video calls with several other players and they've been advocating for a resume of the regular season. Um, If the NBA does decide to go to Orlando and everything that I've read as far as reporting, I can't see all 32 NBA teams packing up and living on Disney World. We're probably looking at a situation where we just jump straight into the playoffs. It could be fun, though. I mean, I'm not totally against that. Um, I know we, we were talking about on the show that some of these teams, like the Golden State Warriors, who are maybe at the bottom, and they really have no hopes of making the playoffs. So their best bet is just to get into the lottery. Uh, but they still have some games to get to, to to play 70 games and fulfill their TV contracts. And that could be incentive, especially if there are no fans in the stadiums. Could be incentive for those teams to play, to make money and not lose so much going into next year. Because the cap space is going to go down. And it is going to have long-term effects on the way the league shapes out. I don't expect the coronavirus to go deep into next year or stop the NBA season for 2020-2021. But the owners can't take any chances saying that we'll be fine. And this is, you know, that's future me's problem. They want to make as much money as they possibly can. And I'm not going to sit here and cry over billionaires and millionaires, but I can't blame them for wanting to make money so that way they don't have to lose players. They can't afford to pay their players' salary. They have to get bailed out by the NBA. Or maybe some of these small market teams can't offer as much as maybe like an LA Lakers would because they have other off-the-court opportunities. So... I can see the season going on. The season's going to go on. I don't see any situation where they cancel the season. But if it's at Disney World and it's at the resort, can you imagine a team in the playoffs having to walk by, pack their bags and walk by all the other teams in the Disney lobby after getting eliminated? That feels like an NBA-themed version of The Bachelor, right? I mean, if I could see Adam Silver hand out roses at the end of every playoff round and say, I'm sorry, um... Toronto Raptors, you guys just didn't make it this time. Right. And then we see, of course, people crying and leaving. I think that'd be fun watch. And I feel like that'd be a good reality TV show because I think there's going to be filming behind the scenes. I I can guarantee that there will be filming behind the scenes for the NBA. So, regardless of any of that, I hope this season happens. I'm I'm very excited for it. Uh, Basketball is probably my first love. And then it goes to football. And uh, sorry, baseball. You didn't get a rose. The NFL, probably right now, is the easiest time adapting to change so far, if you can call it that. Um, there are two major events, free agency and the draft, were very quickly adapted to a virtual format, which is good. I mean, the draft went really well, all things considered. But football down the road faces some unique hurdles, considering that it's an extremely physical sport. Um, it's hard to respect social distancing guidelines in the game of football. You know, maybe they should do flags, which would suck, which is a joke that they have made about the the league going that it's way too soft and everyone's going to get flags. But um, as of right now, non-football staff members are allowed into the facilities. So that's at least a step in the right direction. It's hopeful. And there's plenty of time between us and the NFL season. So nothing's really set in stone yet. There isn't a whole lot of discussions about what the NFL is going to do. I did read a report though that said that they're looking into face masks that would block like the face mask that we're all required to wear when we go out, but 
on an NFL helmet. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how that really is going to work. Um, another major sport, it's not a professional sport, it might as well be considered one, is the NCAA. Um, there's a report that came out and said that the NCAA Division I Council has voted to approve voluntary workouts for football and basketball teams for the month of June, which is per Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports. Shout out to you, Pete. Thank you. Um, there's, of course, there will be a vote on some of the other teams, but basketball and football will not be able to start before May 31st. I'm sure they've already started. I'm sure Nick Saban's already doing stuff virtually. Um, I coach high school football as well, and we do stuff virtually. But this kind of contradicts some of the earlier conversations about student-athletes, which basically says without students, there are no student-athletes. And although teams will be allowed to start, maybe not every team will do so. Not every school is going to have a football season. The University of Akron has canceled men's cross-country men's golf and women's te- tennis for cost saving measures which by the way cost or saved them 4.4 million dollars which i'm in, i'm shocked that men's golf women's tennis and men's cross country would cost them 4 million dollars but good for them and football will of course be the last domino to fall they're they're not going to cancel the college football season it would cost them 4 billion dollars in combined losses and the power 5 conference alone could lose $1.2 billion in revenue cost if they don't have fans in the stadium. So it's going to be played. It's kind of unsure at what capacity, though. Some schools, like I said, still have the possibility of not having a football season, which could have some serious effects on players transferring, decommitting from programs that can't play. Right? If, if the financial impact wasn't enough, the long-term quality of a program could be in danger and force some of these teams to kick it into gear. Some teams who really shouldn't or can't give the resources to have a football season, they're going to lose players if they can't play. Because these players want to come out and play. They want to play football. They've dedicated their lives to it up until this point. And for some schools to be going and some schools to be not, it looks like it's unfair. I mean, everything's unfair right now, but it looks like it's unfair and they're going to move on. If teams might only play within their own conference, which... I mean, at that point, we can basically predict the top six teams, which pretty much pick Alabama and LSU and Auburn from the SEC and Georgia, right? Ohio State and Clemson. Oklahoma might be because they've done really well in the last couple of years, but they play in the Big 12, and there's not much going on in the Big 12. Any other team in the ACC isn't really going to make it. And we talked about it on the Wednesday show on how this will affect an independent team like Notre Dame who it's silly they're independent anyway. Shout out to my Notre Dame guys, Jared and Lucas and Aiden and Bart. I have no love, not nearly as much love for Notre Dame as you guys do and your decision to go independent. But it's going to have an effect on them. And I know it's not the end of the world that teams play within their conference and that the SEC will pretty much just dominate the top six and maybe Ohio State and Clemson will get in because they're probably just going to get in anyway. They dominate college football. But somebody at some point was bound to say, like, this is this is the year Texas is back. Right? Texas has been back the last ten years. This is the year they're gonna be back. And now they don't get to be back. Who's gonna say it this year if Texas is still playing in the Big Twelve? Right? It could be very stale, could get very stale very quickly if a team just continues to dominate its division the way Clemson dominates the ACC. 
Um, after a lack of minority head coaching and executive hires, the NFL has made some changes to the Rooney rule. Um, there was an original proposal that would have boosted draft picks for teams that made minority hires and kept them on their team for at least one season. But since then, that has been set aside. Um, the owners downvoted that, which I, I'm i in favor for them downvoting that. I don't think that that was maybe the right way to do it. I think you get into a lot of really sticky situations for a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, who the Rooney Rule is named after their, their owner, Mr. Rooney. Um, it's a really sticky situation when you already have a minority head coach and the teams are just jumping you. So I think it was maybe the best move just to move on from that. But NFL Network's Tom, I'm going to butcher this last name, Pelissero reported that the league will require teams to interview at least two minority coaches for head coaching vacancies and one minority candidate for any coordinator openings. All right. And then teams can also no longer prohibit assistant coaches from interviewing for top coordinator positions or a team executive from pursuing a front office promotion. This doesn't include um, maybe a coordinator, teams blocking their coordinators, the people who are already on the team as a defensive coordinator, from hiring and moving on to head coaching position. But like assistant GMs can move on, assistant, I guess, passing game coordinators, things like that can be moved on, which is big because... Coordinators are obviously the first person to move up into the next head coaching. I mean, how many times do we see, other than Joe Brady, become a passing game coordinator to the the full offensive coordinator? Do we see guys who are just like the running back coach, now he is the head coach of a football team? They normally go through the offense and defensive guys first, and then move on deeper from there. Unless you're, of course, the Giants, and we've signed a special teams wide receivers guy. But... Um, this does, still doesn't really guarantee that minority coaches are going to be hired, but I think it's a step in the right direction. The more people you get in front of a GM or an owner for an interview, the better chance you have of seeing representation in the NFL. And I have no doubt that there are going to be an influx of minority coordinator positions increase after they stop the blocking. So that'll be a really good step in the right direction. The more guys that we have in the force as far as, I don't want to say the word again, I said coordinator maybe 15 times already. But the more guys that we have out there that are going to be eligible for the head coaching positions, the better. And of course, we still have Eric Bieniemy, who's on the outside looking in for the latest coaching hires. But if there's a chance that he gets at least two or three more interviews because of this rule, right, that's going to be a good thing. Because he doesn't need every NFL team to fall in love with him. He just needs that one team to fall in love with him. Right, and then he always has the college route. But I'd like to see Eric Bieniemy get an NFL job, and I think over the next two years we'll see him get that. Especially after this, I mean, it's a shame that the the Rooney Rule even has to exist. And I hope that one day we have some true diversity amongst the league's top positions. But this is at least a step in the right direction. Like I said at the start of the show, I got a little bit of housekeeping to go through. Some fun little stories that I saw, and I'm not going to talk about how egregious Paul Pierce's top five list was, because he just hates, he just wants to to make like some stupid takes so people talk about it, I think. Um, but the first story I had was Mike Tyson's big return. So every time I look on Twitter, I see somebody who's saying that they're back. And I think maybe we're all caught up in the MJ documentary, 
of people coming out of retirement the same way like Floyd did and Michael Jordan did and Brett Favre did. Mike Tyson wants to be the next name on that list. And I'm not going to claim to be like an expert at boxing and I have this deep information of fighting styles, but for a guy who's 50 years old, he looks like he could fight. I wouldn't fight him. That's for sure. And it might just be a fun story at the end of the day. But if he does come back and he has a fight, I'll watch it. I'll spend some money on it. ESPN, you might finally get me to download ESPN+. Plus. I would pay some money to see Mike Tyson fight again. Another story I saw was uh, <laughs> a stupid one. Almost as dumb as Paul Pierce's top five list, but... Uh, Draymond Green was on the Olive Smoke podcast, and Draymond has a lot of say. And I don't think he would take a lot. He was taking shots at Shaq and the LA Lakers, but when he was talking about it, he basically said that he and the Golden State Warriors could beat the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Relax, Draymond. Relax, brother. If Shaq were to play against the small ball Golden State Warriors, we would see a black and white photo of Shaq holding a piece of paper like Wilt, that said like 150. And I know analytics show that the three ball is king in the NBA and the Golden State Warriors have revolutionized the game and they've changed the way that people play basketball. And of course the Houston Rockets have just copied the Golden State Warriors, but they don't build NBA players like Shaq anymore. He was something special and he could easily overcome the three ball. And then Green went on to explain how they would beat the Golden State Warriors and said that they would exploit Shaq in the pick-and-roll because Shaq historically is not a great pick-and-roll defender. However, in a realistic LA Lakers versus Golden State Warriors situation, Shaq just wouldn't guard Draymond on defense. They don't have to run the pick-and-roll against Shaq because they they have had guys like JaVale McGee and Andrew Bogut and this year Willie Cauley-Stein. You just move them out of the equation. You don't have to worry about any of that. You just put them down low. You really got to run the pick and roll and rely your game on JaVale McGee. Right? And not to mention, of course, that they have Kobe Bryant, who is a great defender, and he could take care of Steph or Clay on the wing. He was about as tenacious as any NBA player we've ever seen. So if Steph wants to just use and he wants to run around and, and make movements like the way he does, I mean, it's a big part of his game that he, he's a great off-the-ball player. Kobe can handle that. The Warriors don't rank as high as I think they think they do as far as historical teams go. I think that the Warriors team with Kevin Durant would be a problem for a lot of teams in the NBA, but all things considered, I don't think the Warriors are a top top five NBA. They're not a top five NBA team of all time. So that's going to do it for today's solo show. Thank you guys for listening. We again have another solo show coming up on Wednesday. So go ahead and leave us a review for this solo show. Let me know what I can do better. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you guys on Wednesday. I appreciate it.